0: So is a smidge different. We're going to be talking to the lovely St. Clair District Jewels about her upcoming book, Dear Chloe. We're going to learn a little bit about St. Clair and the project first, and then we're going to get straight into the chat. If you enjoy the show, do go and visit wwwdearchloe.com and sign up to her mailing list. But um, yeah, I know okay. you're going to enjoy the show. All right, let's get to it.
1: Claire Dietrich-Jules. I was born and raised in Washington, D.C. My mom is American and my dad is Afro-Caribbean. He's from this little island in the Caribbean called St. Barts, and I'm really proud of my Caribbean, my black roots. So I'm a filmmaker, photographer, documentarian, and activist. I really got into social justice during my freshman year at Brown in particular i'm really interested in immigration women's rights and black liberation and so this project that i'm working on now featuring um, black women reclaiming their natural hair has been a great way for me to connect with other black women in a really powerful meaningful way and so i'm really grateful my time at brown also definitely impacted my journey i would say in social justice Um, even you know thinking about the classes that I took in the Africana Studies Department, for example, was really, really uh, inspiring to me and really encouraged me to go the social justice route. So, yeah, that's a little bit about myself, and I hope you all enjoy the podcast this week. Thanks so much for listening.
2: Welcome to EFAB, who you're talking to. Today I'm so delighted to have our special guest, St. Clair dietrich Jules. Today, St. Clair will be telling us about her amazing project, Dear Chloe. Welcome, St. Clair. It's so good to have you on the show. And um, thank you. tell us a little bit about yourself before we get into the questions about your amazing book.
3: Sure. Yeah, thank you so much. Uh, my name is St. Clair dietrich Jules. Uh, I'm from Washington, D.C. Um, my dad is originally from St. Barts, which is a small island in the Caribbean, so I identify as like Afro-Caribbean American. Um, I graduated from Brown in 2017, and I'm a filmmaker, photographer, and activist.
2: Awesome. That is awesome. You wear many hats. <laughs>
1: you wear a lot
2: of hats. That's awesome because it seems as though you're able to create this amazing synergy around all of your talents.
3: Thank you. I'm trying, yeah.
2: (laughs) So let's get right into it. I want to know, what was the defining moment that you shared with your little sister that was the catalyst for this book?
3: So... Let's see. I mean, as soon as, as soon as I found out that she was self-conscious about her afro, um, I knew that something had to be done because I'm so much older than – well, I have three little siblings. I'm so much older than all of them, and this sister in particular, Chloe, we're 18 years apart, so I feel really protective over her, you know. Um, oh, wow. And, yeah, and because I'm so much older, I'm like, I, I never want anything – to happen to her. I never want her to, you know, feel self-conscious. I never want her to like internalize the self-hate, you know, the racism, the misogyny. And, um, yeah. So, I mean, like as a, as a filmmaker photographer, I decided that, you know, I think a lot of the reason why like black women are self-conscious about their hair is because of, I mean, obviously like the media tells us that that's not what's beautiful. And so, I figured right. that I could create my own media for Chloe and other Black women, you know, that does okay. represent us and that, yeah.
2: Stop right there. You said something that was really, really important. That was really, really wonderful. <laughs> you said you are going to create your own media, and yeah. I think that that is a critical, um, beautiful, and a very important thing. Because it counteracts all of the messages that we get from mainstream media. So thank you for being brave, Mm -hmm. and thank you for doing that. Because we need more people like you who are willing to say, we reject these messages that you're constantly bombarding us with, and we're going to create our own messages. So thank you, thank you for that. And I'm speaking as a mother and as a woman who went through the whole learning to love her hair phase before natural was like even
3: thing. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah um, i think that's so, so great i mean yeah no sorry, go, ahead. go ahead i was just gonna say i think um well, i mean what's really cool about i mean obviously like the internet's problematic and everything but i think that there are some really positive sides of you know like so many black women i feel like now are creating their own media like through podcasts through um, writing sites, like medium, things like that, you know. So it's like I feel like we are taking control over our own stories more through various mediums, which is awesome.
2: I agree. I mean, I um, have been on Whitney Houston's Internet for a very long time. And it when the Internet started, there literally wasn't a space for us. Um, it was like a little bit, a, a very small corner with very few voices, and I think that you're right. There are so many different voices, and there's so many um, chances to connect with people on your same journey or with people who are in the same mind space. So I'm very thankful for that, especially because I ended up having a little girl. (laughs) And so, um, you know, she doesn't know the Internet that – didn't have images that look like her. She doesn't know what mm-hmm. that's like. And, and I'm very thankful that um the internet was able to evolve. It still has a, lo- a lot of <laughs> work to do and a long yeah. way to go, but I'm very glad that my little girl can actually click on a picture or look up something and see someone that looks like her or someone that shares her story. That was very that was yeah. very very important for me. And I'm again That's why I'm so excited about your book because I think it's critical to young girls to see black women and to see other black girls that look like them because Mm -hmm. it takes the edge off. I really do. I think it's like protective armor.
3: Yeah, definitely. So my
2: next question is I'd like to ask you, Did you yourself have a love-hate relationship with your hair or your image while you were in high school or an undergrad at Brown? Like, how did you come to this kind of, um, this love of yourself and wanting to see loving and wonderful images of black women?
3: Yeah, so I, I mean, I definitely, I think, like, the vast majority of black women, I did go through a very long phase of not liking my natural hair, starting um, starting in elementary school, and I went to a majority white elementary school, and I realized, oh, nobody has the same hair as I do, and nobody has the same skin color as I do, so I got self-conscious about um, my skin color and my hair, and then when I went to high school, um, it was a majority black and Latinx high school, um, but most of the black girls straighten their hair um so still you know you know there were very few people who I saw who were embracing natural hair as something that's as something that's beautiful and then when I you know when I got to brown um it was really amazing because I met um I met a lot of black women there who were embracing their natural hair who were embracing their skin color and maybe it's you know, I think partly it's because Brown is, I mean, historically such a, you know, white space, like built for white people, um, that black people and other, you know, other minority groups on campus have really had to stick together. Um, Right. And that makes everybody like even closer and like even prouder in their blackness, you know, and so that was really when I, yeah, when I became proud of being black, when I first started seeing black as something that is beautiful and seeing Black hair and my hair is something that's beautiful. And it's sad that it took me that long, but I think it's common for us.
2: You know what? I think you're right. I think that the, the pathway to self-love is so long and mm-hmm. um, a bit hard because of, every, of all the muck and mire that you actually have to go through in order to get to that space where you can embrace, explore, and enjoy your own humanity as a black woman. Yeah. Um, so many women um, have told me the same story, and so many women are still in that process of learning to love themselves. In fact, um, I know some boomers from Chicago, my hometown. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but, um their generation, it was hammered into them that they needed permed hair, and they needed to look respectable in other people's eyes. And I think because there's been such a great revolution with the Gen Xers and Gen Z for embracing natural hair and, um, you know, their bodies and how they are, that some boomers now feel like, okay, I can finally be myself. I can finally enjoy who I am. And you mm-hmm. think about their generation, that's an incredibly long journey yeah. because they're in, their, they're in their late 50s, 60s, if not early 70s. So they've spent almost a lifetime trying to, you know, churning through this cycle. So, you know, kudos to you for getting it in undergrad. Thank you. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, yay, your, your process is much shorter. Um, so
3: and <laughs> I want my sister these, to be even shorter,
2: yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I feel the same way. Like, I, my daughter kind of went through that phase. She saw um, little girls that had straight hair, and she was like, my hair does not do that. And I had to find an age-appropriate way to explain. Like this is your natural hair. This is how your hair grows out of your head. Like, you know. And I was like, God doesn't make yeah. mistakes. And you, you know. So I kind of had to make it, you know, seem like it was magical. I'm like, you know, He needed you to have this hair. It's purpose. Um. Mm-hmm. And it took her a long time because she was kind of looking at me like, "Lady, I know you feed me, but I'm not buying what you're selling." <laughs> so it took. A long time for her to really embrace it, um, and I really kind of had to go hard, like, okay, let's look at these Afros, and then I would have her watch, like, documentaries about the um, young lady in New Orleans that grew her Afro, like, really big, and it was, like, Guinness World Record. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, so then, because my kid is, like, a, a nerd like me, she was like, what? She's going to give us, you know, a for her afro? And I was like, yeah, look at it, it's super dope. Um, <laughs> and I myself, when she was a baby, I had a big afro. And then I cut it off into a mohawk. And I was like, you know, I was like, this is magical hair. But it, it still took a while. Um, and because she wasn't in predominantly black spaces,
3: Mm-hmm. And there was
2: always this kind of air of comparison. And I'm just like, you know, their journey with their body and their image is not yours. So yeah. you have to embrace who you are. And, and like you, like you want Chloe's journey to be real short. I want my kid's journey to be <laughs> super short. I, you know, I think they call these kids the iGen kids. I want the iGen yeah. black girls to have the shortest journey to self-love ever. And mm-hmm. that's possible <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so my next my next question for you is when you're behind the camera, when you're telling these stories through photos, do you feel there's a redemptive power? Do you feel like not only are you creating this media but that it will live on and be able to capture more people that even just look at the title of the book or look at your website. Like, do you feel like there's a way that the images of black women, you're tethered to their humanity because you are a black Mm -hmm. woman and you take pictures of them and you view them with empathetic eyes?
3: Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, and I do want it to be, yeah, I sort of, yeah, I want this to be like a reclaiming of, space you know um like for so long we've been marginalized i mean double marginalized for being black and also being women um and so i do want this to be you know us taking you know reclaiming our space taking up all the space that you know we deserve which is also really cool about our hair because it naturally takes up space you know um (laughs) (laughs) which i think is really great um but yeah, and then taking the taking the photos of black women, um, it was it was also just really nice to be in a to be in that space where it's like where I was only with other black women because there are so many things that go unspoken, you know, like you just have this understanding that you don't necessarily have a people who are of a different race and gender, you know. Um, so yeah, and I do want this book this book, um Hopefully, like, I'm getting it translated into a couple languages, and I want, like, the power of images, even for people who don't speak English um, or who can't read. You know, I still want them to be able to see the pictures and to see, you know, black hair represented.
2: Now, what I thought was powerful is I watched your YouTube trailer, but then I watched it, I think the second trailer is in Portuguese? yeah. Yes. So I thought that that was really powerful because a lot of our Brazilian um, sisters, they are still going through the process of embracing their natural hair and forging um, their identity in their home country. And so I think that your idea to have it translated into different languages is really powerful um, because I'm sure that with – the Afro-Latino movement, that, Mm
3: -hmm.
2: like, um, Afro-Mexicans and Afro-Brazilians, they'll be able to see that, you know, they're not alone in their struggles, that they're not alone in wanting to forge that path of being seen and feeling good in their own bodies and with their images. Yeah, so I think that's definitely. brilliant. That's a that's a brilliant pivot for your project you. to you to leverage the um, the power of language and the power of images together. Thanks. Now, I um I looked at your promo images that you sent me, which I thought were just beautiful. Like I can't wait for the book. Like couple people, <laughs> Like, when you release the book, a couple people are going to have that delivered straight to their house.. <laughs> me. Um, do you feel that each of your subjects that were in the book, um, did they experience some type of social freedom for themselves because they were able to kind of break free of the negative stereotypes of black women's hair and bodies and their existence? I felt like when I looked at your promo pictures of, like, the mother and daughters um, mm-hmm. and then the young lady with that fierce pink mohawk, I just felt yeah. there was a freedom there. There was, there was the – it wasn't spoken, but I could see it. I could feel it in the pictures. It was very palatable that they were free in some form or, or shape or fashion, and I thought that that was just really intoxicating.
3: Yeah, that was that was something, I mean, I felt as I was taking the photos of them too, like they, these women, there was just so much freedom, like just surrounding them, you know, because they had let go of these Eurocentric beauty standards, let go of fear, you know, I think a lot of it is about fear. And that's something that some of the women talked about, you know, before doing the big chop, because almost all the women in my book, you know, went through a, a big chop phase, or I would say more than half probably did. Um and so, you know, letting go of that fear is just so, was just such a pivotal moment for a lot of them in their lives. Um, and there definitely is a lot of freedom because you're saying, you know, I'm no longer, I'm no longer letting other people's opinions of me dictate how I'm going to live my life, you know. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's definitely a really liberating um experience and not and you know I think some people are you know everybody's journey to self love is different and so some people you know in my book are super confident like the you know the mother and the daughter with the dreadlocks for example they are Uh I mean it was amazing to see them together because I mean that girl you know the daughter when she was nine when I took her picture and she was just the most confident nine-year-old I'd ever met, and I, just, I was just like, I want my sister to have this level of confidence, um, just this level of like not caring what anybody thinks, just like being your authentic self. It was really, really, um, it was really, really amazing to see that.
2: That definitely comes across in the pictures that you took. That there is, you know, there's a, a, a weight lifted. Like, they are yeah. free in their, in kind of, like, their movement and their existence. And I think that, you know, all little girls should have that. And it kind of breaks my heart that, you know, black children and black girls are born, like, we're born free. we, And then, like, the weight <laughs> of the world just kind of, it kind of covers you with this wet blanket. And then yeah. you kind of start yeah. to doubt your Existence, so it was really, really nice to just kind of just have that list off the page, and just feel that palatable energy through your photos. Um, um, I'm
3: so happy you could amazing. feel that.
2: Yeah, yeah, and that's just the promo. So, like, I can't <laughs> wait to the whole book drop <laughs> because. It's just, you know, it's something that you want your daughter or you want your friends or someone you know that has gone through this struggle, you want them to flip through and just feel that. You want them to feel like, I get it. You know, I either yeah. want that freedom or I feel that freedom. Um, mm-hmm. So I think that is that is absolutely wonderful. And it's, we don't see enough images of little black girls being free, in my opinion. Yeah, I no, think that... Absolutely. You know, right now on Al Roker's internet, <laughs> we see, you know, there's like these archetypes, right? Like mm-hmm. we see the kid as a baby or we see, you know, the kids being studious or, you know, you also get the stereotype, oh, she's being too fast. But we just never yeah. see little black girls just being free. Like, okay, I'm exactly out here. I'm, joyful. I'm I'm playing, and I'm just enjoying the day. And so it's so good to see those type of images. And it's also good to see mother-daughter images because we live in a society that does not paint the black mother as loving. Mm
3: -hmm. And you
2: have – there's so much love that you have to have in order to allow your child to be free. And I don't think that society gets that. I don't think that they get how – a black mother is juxtaposed between protecting their child from the world and also trying to make sure that they actually have a childhood. So I got a lot of feelings of love and um, protection from the photos as well. Um, One of the most striking photos was the mom with the shaved head and her daughter had those beautiful locks. Oh, my gosh. I love, love, love that photo because it was just so warm and cozy. Like it was almost like a hug just jumped off the page. I'm like,
3: I want a hug. This is beautiful picture. <laughs> yeah, that was, uh, yeah, that mother and daughter there, so beautiful. beautiful. They were actually the last two people I took. Uh, so it was like a really nice way to wrap up. And, yeah, that. I mean, they had so much love for each other and, so the daughter, she's one of the few women in my book who, you know, had never gotten a perm or a relaxer or, or had straightened her hair for long periods of time, you know. And, um, and you could tell, like, I mean, she just was saying that she was so grateful that her mom never let her do that. You know, I think it's hard because as a mom, sometimes, you know, like if your daughter is like, please, like, I really want a perm, you know, it's like, you know, you have, you know, it's like you deny them that, but it's because you love them so much and you want them to love themselves. Right.
2: No, oh, I just bribed my kid. I was like, "Listen, no perm until you're 21, and I will help pay for your masters. Deal." <laughs> oh, <laughs> so I a good deal. until she gets right, until she gets 21, she's not gonna put any kids <laughs> in her head. It might, yeah, it might be all bets are off that when she walks across the stage for undergrad. I don't know. <laughs> but I was trying to, I was just trying to get her like away from. Wanting to permanently straighten her hair, and now that she's yeah. a science nerd, I actually told, I actually found the ingredients in perm, and then I sent them to her via email. And I was mm-hmm. like, well, Why don't you just look up these ingredients? And when she looked at what they were and how they affect the human body, she was really freaked out. She really was. She was like, People put this on their head, and I was like, Yeah, man. i was like your mom put this on her head for years and she's like what i've never seen you with you know because she's never seen me with straight hair
3: yeah yeah
2: But i put that stuff on my head and i showed her old pictures and she was just like okay 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 i get it so (laughs) it is a you know you're trying to protect them but like, I think that the tween years and the teen years are the hardest because that's when mm-hmm. girls are processing their self-image and their self-identity. And um, it's really hard because as a parent you have to pick your battles. And so sometimes you, you want to give in. You'll be like, man, just go. You, I don't want to have this talk again. But then you kind of know the flip side. Like, if you do this, you are altering. The very essence of who you are, yeah. You know, so um, that's a that's a very tight line to walk. Is a very and it away, yeah. But takes what were you the way
3: gonna
2: like say? Freedom, it takes away. Right? It yeah. takes
3: way, like like freedom because you can't like. There's so many things that, you know, for example, your daughter wouldn't be able to do with a perm. Like I've never gotten a perm, but I've just heard that it's so. Um, limiting like you always have to worry about the humidity you can't go to the pool like just like life you know life activities that you miss out on yeah
2: it is and then a lot of people don't realize like um they have you heard of like the hair curl scale it's like 3a 3b 3 C, 4a 4b so i would say that i have 4g hair that's how thick my hair is like it's not even on a scale it's just like fiber optic. (laughs) 4G, And so I would perm my hair, and two weeks later, the curls would just spring out, out the roots. It was almost pointless in putting it on my hair. Mm-hmm. And so what a lot of people also don't realize is that curly hair is alive, perm hair is dead. Dead hair. That's why mm-hmm. you got to care. Like, it's not,
1: <laughs> yeah,
2: it has no life to it. You, like, literally killed Chilled your hair coming out of the cuticle. So um, that was the other thing I had to kind of hit my daughter to, like, hi, hey, you want to be walking around with this dead hair, this zombie hair? Just go ahead, do it. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, and so, you know, I have to use age-appropriate things to get to to have my tween see my point of view. But yeah, so you know, she ran around for a, a couple of weeks, like, I don't want zombie hair. I was like, yeah, nobody wants zombie hair. You want, you want your hair to be alive. <laughs> But um you're right, like you go swimming, your hair's gonna revert. Um mm-hmm. chlorine is going to <laughs> chlorine's gonna destroy your hair. Um and it destroys natural hair, just I mean, chlorine destroys everything. But when you have a perm and you've been in a highly chlorinated pool, it's a wrap. You might as well be doing mm-hmm. oil treatment for the rest of the week. Yeah. <laughs> it's ugly. Um <laughs> And then, like, I switched over to texturizers because I felt like a texturizer is not as bad as a perm.
3: I've heard, yeah.
2: It is as bad as a perm, and it dries your hair out like you're in a microwave.
3: Mm. So
2: it's just, to me, um, in my humble opinion of 20 years (laughs) of having my hair uh, fried and dyed, I just feel like it's not worth it. You know, it's, there's something very freeing about getting up, running your fingers through your hair or, you know, spraying your braids or twisting your locks and just moving mm-hmm. through the planet as you are. I just really think that there's, there's yeah. something to that. Um, so tell us. Tell us more about the book, how you're promoting it, and any events that you have coming up.
3: Sure. So – um. So the book is going to come out in spring 2020. Um, So I have social media pages for the book. So my Instagram is dear underscore Chloe. So D E A R underscore K H L O E. And then um, the Twitter page is dear Chloe, all one word. Again, that's Chloe, like K H L O E. And then I also have a website, www.dearchloe.com. So, B e a r k h l o e dot com, um, and on the homepage you can sign up for the newsletter to the, for the newsletter to be updated about all the events, um, the merchandise is going to be coming out soon, um, and be notified about like yeah events for the book, uh, release date, those kinds of things.
2: That is awesome. Um, Thank you. Do you once the book is released? Um, do you think you're going to try to do maybe, like, um, pop-ups or readings in, like, the major metros?
3: Yeah, definitely. I'm really just really buying for
2: Houston. I'm like, just come
3: to Houston. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I would love to. And I'm like, I've been saving up money. Like, I have a part-time job, so I've been saving up money um, because I really do want to be able to travel, take this book to different places, Um and also, you know, so I want to share my book with people in different places, but I also want to learn about what it's like for black women growing up in different areas of the country, you know, because I'm from D.C., so that's, that's just one experience, but every city is right. going to have its own experience. I think it would be really great for me also just to learn even more um, and to sort of bounce ideas back and forth with people, um, sort of using the book as a springboard. So hopefully that's the plan.
2: Well, good. And so remember, Houston, put, please put Houston on the list. Everybody goes to Dallas <laughs> and Austin. I'm just telling you, come to Houston. I'm here. We're going to get some good barbecue. We're going to do it. We're going to do the thing. I would be down for it. That's awesome. That's awesome because Houston is so cosmopolitan and international. You're. It's not going to feel like you're in Texas. Like, when you go to Dallas and you go to Austin, <laughs> you feel like you're in Texas. And I'm saying this yeah. as a Chicagoan in Houston. Cause I, I'm a mm-hmm. Yankee. I'm a Northern girl. Um, and I lived on the East Coast uh, during my second youth in New York. So I, I was not accustomed. I moved back to Texas from England. Um, so when I came mm. down to Houston, I was like, man, this doesn't even feel like Texas. But it's really, really <laughs> cosmopolitan cosmopolitan and um, natural hair in the last I would say seven to ten years has really picked up down here but we can use um, some good banter around your wonderful book Um, and I'm just going to throw this out there if you do go on a nationwide tour with your book then that your tour the pictures from your tour should be like dear Chloe purchase the tour I'm just saying that
3: is such Asia. a good
2: idea. <laughs> oh and then God. you can write about, yes, you can write about black women experience with their hair and their images in different parts of the country because, you know, like you said, you grew up in D.C., I grew up in Chicago, how black mm-hmm. women see themselves in
3: Houston
2: or Denver or um, Vegas, totally different. So yeah. I'll be looking for that book, too. You publish that book, I got you. <laughs> <laughs> That's such a good idea. I hadn't even thought of that. (laughs) So thank you so much for um, talking with me today. I really appreciate it. I'm so excited. For everybody that actually follows my blog or my social media, Um, all this week we're going to be promoting um, Dear Chloe, and then we're going to do a blog post about it. And we want you to sign up to St. Clair's mailing list so when this book drops, you can get this book. You need it on your coffee table so it can be a conversation piece. So thank you so much, Sinclair. Um, you, you, I just, I'm so glad that I was presented with this project because it's near and definitely dear to my heart.
3: Well, yeah, thank you so much for having me and for opening up the space for, for black women.
2: Thank you.
0: Oh, my God. Was it good for you? <laughs> it was good for me to have you in my space. Listen, I would love for you to share this podcast. Sharing is caring. I'm everywhere I'm on the Internet, Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, Google Plus, Medium, Instagram. And in 20 years, I may be my own app or a giant head stuck in a jar like Uh, Futurama, (laughs) but I'm everywhere. So dig it. So share. I'm efabuloushb.com and at efabuloushb everywhere on the internet. So as always, it's been real. May you go out into the world a bit happier, joyful, or more damn astounded after listening to my podcast. More dribble from me is coming soon. Stay woke. God bless. Bye.